Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. Come on, man! This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview, is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Thursday, September 17, 2020. But of course, you listen to this anytime because it's a podcast. You could be <laughs> listening to this in the year 35, 35. Anyway, the headline of my beloved bright one, home delivered as always, Chicago Sun-Times. You know, I, I'm looking at this headline. And I realize I didn't go through this with our distinguished guest who I'm about to introduce. So this poor distinguished guest is going to get a curveball right off the top. I'm going to ask him about this headline and the bright one, my beloved bright one. The wrong choice. Catholic school teacher Margaret Healy had anxiety over returning to the classroom when the new year began. Four days later, she was sick with the coronavirus. Folks are in denial about the coronavirus. And with that, I will now ask my distinguished guest, my enlightened distinguished guest, to introduce himself. Dr. Anthony Fauci. <laughs> oh, no, no, he's no, no, he can't. He couldn't make it today. This is Ken Davis sitting in for Tony. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> Could you imagine if I got Dr. Ben, I'm, a, I'm a really big fan of your show. I, I love Dr. D. You know, Ben, I don't have a lot to do these days, so I sit around listening to your show. That's a great imitation. I didn't know you did imitations. Do you do any others besides uh, Dr. Fauci on Kenneth? Um, I could do um, I could do money from uh, from cabaret. Money makes the world go round, the world go round. But you've done that one already. So. Yeah, very good for knowing that. The jingle jangle sound. It makes the world go round. A mark a yen, a buck or a pound, a buck or... Stop. Oh, I love that. Stop me. I'll stop you right now. Although I, I just watched that movie last uh, Saturday. Ken Davis, as really? everybody who listens to the Ben Jarofsky show knows, uh, was for years and years and years the host of the Ken Davis show, yes. a cable access show, which was not called the Ken Davis show by anyone but me. Uh, I can't remember. Chicago Newsroom. Yes. Uh, yes, Chicago You know, they didn't listen to me. I always complain about this. Your host is Ken Davis. The show should be called the Ken Davis Show. Uh, ben, stay in your lane. And so they didn't. They didn't change the name. Uh, and uh, anyway, you retire. How is retirement treating you? You know, I feel a little guilty saying this, but I think I'm one of like maybe eight people in North America who's just having a really great summer. <laughs> I really am. You know, I spend a lot of time out in the garden and walking. I love to walk along the lakefront. I, I have, uh, you know, I'm a landlord, so I go and deal with people's problems all the time. And I'm just, I'm, I'm fine, thank you. Very fine. Uh, uh, by the way, as a landlord, this is something we didn't even discuss, but you mentioned as a landlord. I don't know if you saw the interview that Chris Rock did with the New York Times. No. Uh, it's very funny. I urge everybody to go read it. It's also uh, the guy's pretty uh, astute political analyst. Yeah, and, I heard about it. I got to read that. Well, the one line about the landlords is why he, he a lot to the point was, why should we be surprised uh, that Donald Trump has no empathy? He's a landlord. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> it's not only funny, it's true. But you're a different kind of landlord, I'm sure, right? You have I would like to hope so, yeah. You know, that's an interesting little jumping off point right there because um, 
You know, I heard you talking about uh, anti-gentrification, or, or some people have been talking about anti-gentrification in the city council with all of this discussion that's happening about housing and uh, trying to reach to change the ARO a little bit. But, you know, I'm thinking that you don't really need to take anti-gentrification measures anymore in the city of Chicago because the city of Chicago is handling it on its very own. I saw this thing the other day, class A buildings downtown, you know, towers mostly, I guess. Uh, they are, they are um, at, what is it? Nine, 90, 90, no, 89%, 89% rented. They're dropping like a stone. Uh, the um, rentals in suburbs are 95.3%, and uh, they're going up all the time. So it really is true. There is a measurable outflow of affluent people from the downtown area, what appears to be going out to the suburbs. So uh, gentrification, may, we may be in a pause in the gentrification uh, flow here in Chicago. Well, it's interesting. I, uh, you threw a bunch of numbers that us really fast. So, uh, I'm not, I have to digest those numbers and think about it. Now you're, uh, you're talking about a rental market, not yeah, a the rental market. market. And rental you're saying it's 89%. 12%. It's, it's decline. It is a 12% decline down to 89%. So you're saying 11% of the units are vacant. Uh, yes, I guess that's what that would be, wouldn't it? I mean, I'm always careful when you say percentages, but yeah, yes. there there is a 89% occupancy in those high rent. Okay, as opposed to 5% vacancy in all of the suburbs together? Yeah, well, it's, it's you know, it's the different real estate boards all sort of smushed yeah. together. But yeah, 95%, which yeah, is I'm, really high because they've always been kind of, you know, they've been. I'm, I'm hesitant to draw any conclusions about this because it's a vast, the, the rental market in the suburbs is a vastly different market. There's all yes, there's upscale, is. there's uh, yep. affordable. So I'm not quite sure what any of this means. But this is actually uh, something I was thinking about I, today. I had to take up, I, I, I rode my bike. I uh, hadn't been downtown in a while. I rode my bike through downtown. And the first thing that struck me, I've been reading all the same articles you are, Ken, and hearing about the threat that people have that they're uh, going to be leaving. Well-to-do people are just going to leave Chicago. Uh, and what struck me is that the downtown is not that much different than any other neighborhood in Chicago right now. It's showing the impact of a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, the restaurants are empty, the bars are empty, the office buildings are empty, so there's no collateral runoff of workers yep. walking down the streets. I had a hard time ascertaining what was so special and different about downtown Chicago as opposed to any other community in Chicago. Help me, enlighten me on this. Well, I think it's, I mean, it's a kind of a, a, a perhaps a subgroup uh, of people who just really like to be where everything is happening. I mean, there, there is a, there is something to be said. I, I'm not one of these people, but there is something to be said for living a couple blocks away from the Art Institute or from all the cultural assets or Water Tower Place or whatever, whatever turns you on. And you're just steps away from the Oak Street Beach. And, you know, it's it's a it's a it is a really cool place to live if that is your lifestyle. Um, and the, and it's also one of the economic engines that really drives Chicago. Those people spend a lot of money and they, uh, they make the downtown kind of vibrant just by sort of being there. I know I sound like I'm Alderman of the 43rd Ward or something. <laughs> 42nd Ward, sorry. 42nd Ward, but, yes. But, um, I mean, it's true. It, it really is true. And if that is going to be hurt in a in a long term way, that's going to be a problem. Um, that that you know, it's going to take a while to work out. And you know, heaven forbid that uh, you know you're a new mayor and you're just coming in, and in the first few months of your administration, this thing hits. It's going to be a big problem. Yeah, no, I I understand uh, every the gist of what you're saying. My point is again, we have to we have to wait and see. Uh, all neighborhoods are suffering right now right. Um, from the pandemic, and what I'm saying is I don't know if the downtown is suffering any more measurably uh, than any other. What you're saying is when the downtown bleeds, we bleed all over, and it's this goes back, Ken, when I first moved to Chicago in 1981. And this was, 
a theme that was so prevalent uh, in economic development conversations, downtown versus the neighborhoods. And there was a thriving group of activists uh, in the neighborhoods throughout the city, black neighborhoods, white neighborhoods, uh, and uh, Hispanic neighborhoods that were saying too much money was being spent downtown. More money needs to be spent uh, in the uh, surrounding areas. A lot of that talk disappeared during the daily years. Mm-hmm. It's picked up lately. Yeah. You know You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. picked up lately. And now my guess is you're not, it's going to be in reverse because the argument will be we need to spend more money downtown yeah, yeah. we forget the neighborhoods you guys were you're only as strong as we are well I, I, I don't think i don't think that's necessary i don't think gonna any i don't think anybody really believes or well i'm sure there are people who believe it but i don't think that you need to spend more money downtown uh it it's its own self-perpetuating engine and you know i just want to sort of grab you here for a moment because you and I both like to start most of our answers to questions by saying, I'm old enough to remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it gets on my nerves when I do that, but I do it once in a while. And I am old enough to remember when Marina City was being built in 1959, 1960, and watching that radial crane up on top of the Marina Tower as it was going up the first tower and just marveling at it. And, and I mean, I was a kid. But the story was that people were going to live in that building. It was just, it was bizarre. Why would anybody live in the loop, right? Yeah. And now, I mean, there are more, I think there are probably more uh, residential units in the loop than there are office buildings in some parts of the loop. And it's a great thing. I love it. I love being around the loop. Uh, and the fact that the downtown area, uh, certainly the Michigan Avenue or north, you know, the north, the the North streets and everything are all so active at night. And I love that. I think it's a great thing about our city. And, um, I've, you know, I have, I've mentioned this to you before that, um, when I'm asked to, I'm not asked much anymore, but when I was asked to, uh, uh, say something nice about Richard J. Uh, Richard M. Daly. Uh, one of the things that would always come out first was I loved the fact that he was so active in getting colleges and universities yeah. down into the loop because it is paying off in in droves today. Those kids who went to those schools and stayed in Chicago are kind of living around the area today. They're 30 years old today, 35, and I think that's really cool, and I and I love it. I am, you know, in my heart, a kind of a Chicago booster, and I don't want to see Chicago hurt. But it does raise for me a kind of a parallel question, though, Ben. I wanted to be the first one in this conversation to say, Lincoln Yards, (laughs) (laughs) Darling Bay. I mean, if you were, what's his name, Andy Glore, if you were in charge of that operation, would you be putting a shovel in the ground right now to be building residential towers, uh, you know, up around North and Clybourne? Would you be doing that? that now, having heard your introduction, the answer is no. Uh, and that's why I'm saying we are at a, a, a standstill moment for all of Chicago, uh, not just the loop, but all of Chicago. Yeah, or, absolutely. And uh, life will not go back to a, a semblance of what it was, Ken, and you know this as well as I do, until the pandemic is gone. And right now, well, thank uh, God that's going to be by November, right? Yeah, according to Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, and uh, so I think you were said it to me in passing. It's going to be another year. Yeah, uh, and so everything's frozen. So if you're Lincoln Yards, listen, you and I again, we're old enough to remember this. Uh, <laughs> Block thirty seven was a very similar project in yeah. many ways to Lincoln yeah. Yards. A huge influx of public dollars. Right. Uh, very controversial plan. Once again, I fought it, opposed it, lost. Uh, same thing with Lincoln Yards, but it was vacant. It They couldn't get it off the ground. I can't remember how many years, 20 years, I want to say. Oh, yeah. and- oh, easily. Well, I mean, it was. It started getting demoed during the early Harold Washington years, right? 
Uh, well, I wouldn't say early hero wash. I, I think it started getting demoed uh, between Sawyer and Daly. That it got the approval. Really? Okay. I, I can't believe I know this. Yeah. In 1987, uh, right before Harold died, the council approved the deal. That's right. Yeah, like Stop and Shop was the first thing to be knocked down, if I remember. That's right. Yes. Yeah, that's when that was. So 87. So yeah. 97. Oh, that, yeah, it's been been a number. Of, but but you're right. It was it was empty forever. Uh, you know, that's how so Blocks, so. that's how Gallery 37 got its name. But, um, you know, that that was a tragic and horrible mistake. And and we might be seeing I, I don't wish it on anybody, but we might be seeing that again. We might see that giant hole all the way along, uh, you know, along that area where the where it was supposed to be. It might be there for decades. Who knows? Yeah, well, it, it can't be two things at once. So, in other words, as you pointed out, you, the early trends suggest that people are leaving the loop. So, you can't have people leaving the loop at the same time you're building this enormous uh, right. residential complex that you want to fill up with people. Right, uh, rich people. Right, rich people who are saying, I want out. Right. So, it's yeah. It's a subset and, of people. <laughs> a subset of people. Now, this is what I wanted to ask you about. I'm coming back to this. Yeah. I just saw this and it popped into my head. You're sort of our science expert on this uh, show. Oh, geez. Oh, and and I, 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 I got to get your thoughts about this. Yeah. The, it's a combination of things. The urgency that so many people feel to reopen the schools mm-hmm. in the midst of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, combined with so much uncertainty about how to safeguard teachers and students and clerks and principals and parents that come through the building, what have you, from the virus. And it's almost like the two sides can are talking past each other half the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So the archdiocese opened up. All right. They're, they're proud of it. They opened up the yeah. Catholic schools. They had a whole plan. They put it out in the newspaper for everyone to read. Uh, and it was a contrast. It was used as a contract. Mayor Lori Lightfoot was asked about it at a press conference because the uh, Chicago public schools did not reopen. And mm-hmm. she said, well, the archdiocese is opening his pub. And so here's, what do I open the today's newspaper? The wrong choice. It's a picture, I don't know if you saw the, of a, of a, a young woman looking very forlorn through her window. She's uh, in isolation uh, because she has the coronavirus. She's a Catholic school teacher. So what's your take on all this? Uh, I got it right in front of me. You have it right in front of you. Yeah. yeah. Four days later, she was sick with the coronavirus. Yeah. uh, As our resident scientist on this show. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Is there a way in your mind, uh, to reopen schools safely, or should we just do adapt to schools? What I sort of just said, we should adopt a development and just be a little patient, America, and wait until this thing is over. Your thoughts? Well, you know, I I hate being put in this position of of having more authority than I than I have or wisdom than I have, but uh, I I cannot imagine just opening a Chicago public school just like it was, you know, eight months ago. Um, it's, it's, it would be insane to do that. But, you know, we're already seeing the downside of, of having kids at home and trying to keep them engaged in front of a, uh, you know, an iPad all day long. Uh, and I, it, it, as the centrist that I am, I'm always kind of looking for a sort of a middle road. And, and it seems to me that there might be one that we're kind of getting enough experience now with the the virtual parts of things. And there must be a way that we could experiment with some virtual and some in school at certain times where you run the school at half capacity with really stringent physical responsibilities um and for the the things that are you know pretty rote uh, that that don't require really being there don't require discussion maybe that can stay online and maybe that's something that not only will carry on for a while it that might even extend beyond the pandemic it might it might take the pressure off of building a lot of new schools or expanding schools because you know the uh, population is the population of kids is going down 
So we're going to be going through a period in 20 years when we're going to have even more capacity in these buildings than we have now. So I wish we could just all stop fighting long enough to sort of look at this and see if we can learn anything from what's going on, because I think there are some things to be learned. I really do. Well, one of the conversations you and I have had uh, over the years is about uh, the the ancient uh, uh, school buildings of Chicago yeah. and just all the problems. I remember uh, there was a leak, carbon dioxide leak that you and I were obsessed with uh, out of school Russell. on the north side. Yeah. yeah you, what a memory. Good, good job, young man, that you remember yeah. that. Uh, and I wrote a story about it. You and I yeah. talked about it on the phone. Uh, and I thought about that when I just was sort of confronting the reality of bringing students into one of these old buildings yeah. uh, with this airborne virus. Yeah. And so I get you, I, I hear you every day that uh, students aren't in the school is, is lost time. And particularly when you're dealing with one group of kids who has a huge advantage over the others in terms yeah. of the wealthier kids, uh, our low-income low kids in Chicago really need school. Yeah, I just don't see how. Yeah, I just don't see it, Ken. Um, well, I mean, it's it's to me, it's just tragic uh, that that piece that the Sun Times did the other day on running the numbers on who the kids are who are actually doing online, uh, you know, who are who are participating in the virtual program, and and the number the 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 number of African American kids who are not in there is just unbelievable it's just a very high percentage and you know you can get into all the discussions all the arguments you want about why that is or how it is or what can be done to fix it but it's a fact and it's a fact that we have to deal with in some way and um you know, it's like it's just so weird to see that some of the predominantly white schools or, or schools that have very heavy numbers of white kids in them, some of those were at 100 percent enrollment virtual. Yeah. You know, so it's there's just it's just such a societal issue. And as we've always said, you and I, Ben, the public schools are the are the one repository of all of our problems and all of our aspirations. They all live in the public schools, right? You got really involved, really engaged parents of all races, classes, and uh, economic levels, and you got really disengaged parents. You got kids who are really eager to learn and kids who just want to get the hell out of there, like mm -hmm. I was. <laughs> and um, yeah. you know, and and you, we're trying to apply one answer to these things and it can't be done that way but i but you also are tapping into something else that i know we the last time i was on we started talking about this very briefly but you know we were up against the clock and we had to stop but um um i think that one of the great shames in all of this is the fact that we haven't been able to solve what is a very moderately simple problem of being able to get broadband internet into mm -hmm. every home that has kids who are attending school. It's just like it should be a human right. We don't argue about whether we should send water into these homes or gas or electricity. Maybe the water's got a little lead in it, but, you know, we do the best we can. <laughs> yeah. But why, why is it that we can't get broadband internet well we can but you just have to pay for it and you have to pay a lot for it and i just believe that there's there's a human rights issue here and that it should just be that when when you are when you are a part of a household that has a eight or 10 or 12 or 15 year old kid in it there should be a strong wi-fi signal just there and it, there are ways to obviously uh, throttle or maintain that Wi-Fi signal so you're not using it for, you know, just playing games all day or watching porn or whatever else, you, all the other freedoms that you get when you have unlimited Wi-Fi. But it's, it's, it is the, the way we are right now, the situation we're in in this world right now, it is the key more than almost anything else to being able to educate the next generation of children. And it's like it's like 1925 with electricity. You know, yeah. half the country isn't wired. They can't they don't even have lights. 
And what well, did we do? We did the rural electrical, the REA, the Rural Electric Administration during the during the Depression, wired the entire damn country in a couple of years, and suddenly everybody had power. That's what we should be doing now. Well, uh, Ken, like- I, I agree with you, uh, and then you answered your own question at the end. I don't believe, and I, and I say this almost across the board, that any city, but we're talking about Chicago now, can uh, address the inequity that you just exposed. Doesn't have the money, doesn't have the capability. It has to be at the federal level and it has to be universal. It has to be across the board and it has to be a commitment that the country feels as responsible to as it does, let's say to social security. And the reality is if people feel that whenever they're challenged in any way by what life in Chicago during a pandemic and they, they don't like there's a, some looting and they're going to leave their loyalty to the city is so weak. Their determination to solve the problems it has so little energy that they just run. Yeah. yeah. The moment they're even just, like a touch of the problem, we're yeah. never going to solve it. Yeah. Because the, I see this across the board, not just in Chicago. I just read an article. I, I keep reading the same article city to city. I think I'm going to write a column about this. New Jersey just implemented a millionaire's pa- tasks. And the headline is Republicans predict all the millionaires will leave New Jersey. I see her in New York. New Yorkers are going to the suburbs. Same thing. Rich yeah. New Yorkers yeah. are going to the suburbs. Yeah. I see in California. The forest fires, rich Californians are going to leave California. Mm-hmm. So is that our solution? Yeah, absolutely. Where are you guys? Where are they all going to go? Run I mean, away! <laughs> so it's really hard. I hear you. I'm with you 100. percent I don't. Did you see the solution? This is the last time we're in this show. Mayor Lori Lightfoot and a, uh, a group of. The well-to-do, I think Kenny G was part of it. Kenny Griffin, mm-hmm. richest man in the state. Yeah. We're going to kick in some money to uh, kick in some money to to kill the fair tax. Is that what you're saying? Well, he, he, that's where his real money's going to. <laughs> he spent 20, 20 million dollars to kill the fair tax, <laughs> and then he kicks in like a couple of million for broadband. <laughs> which in the, in the Tribune article was like, "Oh my God, what a great initiative!" You know, let's can we thank these rich people enough? Yeah. And then it goes, "They hope to have it running in four years." <laughs> but. Four years. <laughs> I mean, is this like a joke? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Four years. And my joke is like, could you imagine Ken Griffin? You know, his business is predicated on being make, able to make instant trades. Right, right. What if it's so the guy and the computer t- uh, boss, IT, it's going to take four years to finish that trade. Yeah, he's got like a T5 line right into every room in his house so that he can do, you know, nanosecond trades anytime he wants. Right. Yep, that's yeah. the thing. And, and uh, you know, again, don't get me started on this. It's like when... When I was a young man and the uh, and the the city was first getting wired for cable, mm-hmm. it was a big deal. I mean, the city city had to set up a, an entire infrastructure just to govern the way that the cable companies and there were many of them were coming in and laying their cables in the city. They had to string them on all the utility poles and all the alleys. They needed conduit, you know, feeder conduits from God knows where to where else to, to make it all work. And then it started to work for a while, but like, like all of technology, suddenly everything became Wi-Fi. And we don't really need all those cables strung all over the place anymore. Hard, you know, more and more, fewer and fewer people are hooked up to the cable system. They're getting their, they're getting their internet through the cellular system or they're getting it through centralized Wi-Fi systems of some kind. And, you know, I had, I had a bunch of problems. As I said, I just had a bunch of technical problems with my, with my uh, cable system in the last month or two. And at one point, uh, I was getting no internet at all. And my good friends at Comcast said, well, why don't you just log on to the free Comcast Wi-Fi system? There's probably one near you. 
And I had no idea that this actually was a, was a thing. I mean, I knew they were building something. And I, and I so I go on and I look at this list of hot spots near me. And there's like eight of them within about a, a three minute walk of my house. And I realized that these are those things that I've never quite understood what it is that they're putting on top of all the lampposts all over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> those little black boxes up there. I figured it was just the government snooping on us. Just it probably is. Uh, well, it's that too. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely that too. But so I log on to this thing and I'm getting beautiful Wi-Fi on my computer through Comcast Xfinity. Now I'm getting it because I, you know, am a, customer but so what would it take to turn that on for some kid who's living two houses away without without having to pay them a cable bill every month why can't we do that for, with an account for that kid that brings in uh, the the educational services that are needed it can be done and they're already doing it and this four-year thing just makes me just makes me want to puke yeah i'm with you 100 that was a great riff uh laurie lightfoot listens to all our shows Lori, uh, hey, oh, hi, how you doing uh, and, you uh yeah yeah uh yeah no and listen all these things can be done it's just uh, not a real will for them uh, and uh, all right, let's move on from Chicago and go on, uh, talk about uh, Donald John Trump. Oh. Uh, and uh, uh, Ken, Ken was actually, uh, I've said this several times, one of the few people who predicted sort of that Donald Trump would win. Uh, he did it at the hideout. I think it was the October 2016 show. So it's public. Yeah. And one of the um, great shames of my life. Well, you shouldn't be ashamed that you were accurate in uh, you predicting Donald John Trump would win. Uh, he did win, as I always point out. He did not win the popular vote. He won the Electoral College. And the Democrats, if they have uh, any hope of um, securing the type of programs that they want, they have to get rid of the Electoral College. I think that's pretty obvious by now. Uh, so what's your sense, oh, wise one, as we speak in September, uh, as you look in your crystal ball, in your humble opinion, will Donald John Trump uh, be reelected come November? Well, I have to reveal before we go any further that you and I did have a little bit of a pre-conversation about this yesterday. And I think that we both concluded that absolutely nobody <laughs> knows i mean you cannot predict this thing you just can't yeah. Yeah. um and when when you try to predict it all you're doing is you're just you're just sort of relaying all of your insecurities you know you're just laying them out there on the table do i think trump's gonna win yeah i do i still do but can i prove that no it's just a gut feeling and what it really is is just my deepest seating fears just kind of like jumping out of my throat against my will um i, I have always believed and forgive me for all these things that I'm about to say, but I've always believed that America is fundamentally an ignorant place filled with narrow-minded people, racists, haters, and just lots and lots of people who really are antisocial. And Donald J. Trump figured out a way to get every single one of them to tattoo his name on their backside. <laughs> and... Yeah. There's a lot of them. There are more than we realize. However, I got to tell you, a, a wonderful thing happened yesterday. I, I have, because I'm a media freak, I have, you know, I have satellite radio so that I can listen to CNN and MSNBC and Fox in the car. And um, CNN was carrying that, that Joe Biden press event yesterday mm -hmm. that I had not been aware of and i tuned in and i listened to it and it was about the vaccine and and his reaction to trump saying that there isn't going to be a vaccine you know uh, i mean there's going to be a vaccine by november 1st or something ben i gotta tell you i i was so impressed by that he stood at the podium i was not watching i was only listening but he clearly was not talking off of a prompter. And he just kind of laid this thing out about, folks, 
you know, folks, listen, you know, folks, you got to know <laughs> yeah. there are two strains of this vaccine. And one is the HLL and the other is the 2564. And one of them requires two uh, vaccinations and the other one requires 40,000, 40 degrees, you know, Celsius storage, minus 40. He just did this riff about what the status of the vaccines is and how it would be absolutely insane to think that any of this is going to be ready before the election and that, you know, maybe sometime next year it'll happen. But in the meantime, can't we just get sensible and understand that there are things we can do? We don't need a vaccine to begin to pull these numbers down. Just the simple things, the mask. And I was just blown away. Mm-hmm. So he's got it. He doesn't always have command of it, but in in a certain circumstance like that, whoever's handling him now did a very good job putting that thing together. Because if there were a lot of people who saw that, they'd say, wow, this is a little different than what Trump is telling us. And he sounds like he really knows what he's talking about. And Trump is talking about, you know, herd mentality. Yeah. Wow. Just uh, our science expert, Ken Davis, is now going to uh, point out the utter absurdity (laughs) of the Trump White House argument in favor of herd mentality. Uh, Take it away, Kenneth. No, I just, I mean, (laughs) when he was on that thing with uh, Stephanopoulos on ABC a couple of nights ago, it was, it was a global embarrassment. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. I was ashamed that people outside of our country were seeing it. I mean, we already know. It's kind of like it's, it's kind of like you know, you got like that bad apple living in the house with you. We already know about that. But for God's sake, don't let the neighbors hear it too. Yeah. And when you know when he's when he's talking about well, um, again, plugging plugging cable news again. Um, Let's see if I if I can remember this here. I got some new some notes here, but uh, Rachel Maddow uh, has been going just out of. I mean, she's just completely out of her mind. Uh, about five minutes into the show, the top of her head just explodes every night, <laughs> yeah. and then they have to come in and glue it back on yeah. a break, and then she takes over again. But she was talking, interestingly enough. Well, it, it kind of ties into this Michael Caputo thing, you know. The, uh-huh. Chief spokesman for the HHS uh, and how he was talking about uh, it's time to buy ammo because the deep state is going to uprise if uh, Trump loses and all that kind of stuff. And then he decided he needed to spend more time with his family. His family, they moved him on. No, but the herd mentality thing, this is what yeah. I want to get back to. The herd mentality thing, right. the notion but, to get to uh, a, a situation where so many Americans are quote unquote protected. And this presumes, by the way, you can't get it more than once. We're right. just working from right. that assumption. and We don't even know if that's the case. Yep. So many people have to be infected. And well, so many people it. will die yeah. from that infection. Yep. Yep. So the his solution to the pandemic is for, I don't know how many more millions of more people, but it well, would... I, Queen Queen uh, uh, Rachel explained all this last night with lots of graphics on the screen that herd immunity, uh, the, the way it's thought is that you have to get to about 70 percent or some people say 60, 75. But, you know, somewhere around three quarters of the population has to have had the disease. Now, of course, no one knows whether once you have it, we still don't know yeah. when you get it again. That's still up in the air. But if that were the case, you'd have to get about 200 million, we got 313, 330 million people in the country. So, you know, over 200 million people would have to catch and recover from COVID. So, (laughs) you know, that would be a lot of people. Uh, And and now, of course, the, the really important thing is that the number of people who would die for us to get to 200 million people who caught it and survived, that number would be somewhere around 6 million people. Yeah. See, that was the point. Somewhere between, depending on your number, how you want to calculate the number, somewhere between, say, 4 and 6 million people will have to die before we can approach herd 
immunity. I keep wanting to say herd mentality. Yeah. Immunity. No, I know. It's, Sanity. You know. But the real thing, though, Ben, is that, you know, this guy, Dr. Scott Atlas, hmm. who's been who has joined the White House task force and it seems to have pushed Fauci out the door. We don't know. But he is an advocate yeah. for herd immunity. He, he believes in it. And yeah, that, he's, he, he comes from Stanford. And yesterday, Stanford actually put out they actually put out a press release saying that, yes, it's true. He graduated from there. But, you know, he's crazy. They, yeah. They, he hasn't worked for them for he hasn't worked, been there for years. They completely disagree with him on herd immunity. So don't use Stanford anymore, please. You know, it's it was Stanford's equivalent of the, the gag I do in the show all the time. The views and opinions of Ken Davis do not necessarily <laughs> reflect those of the Ben Jarofsky show. Stanford's those are all. just mine, right? Yeah. Oh, the, um, all opinions here are Ben Jarofsky's, no one else. No. So th- this is why I'm saying uh, we go go back to Chicago. Uh, there's no way of redressing all the problems we have. Just think about it. You want to have this inadequate uh, public school system in terms of its facilities, bringing kids in. We have no federal uh, uh, approach to the pandemic. We yeah. have no consensus on it. Uh, yeah. There was a photo when he uses an opportunity to shift gears a little bit again, there was a photo in today's uh, sometimes of a support the police rally. Oh uh, yes. Your neck of the woods. Yes. My neck of the woods. And uh, so this is a, uh, this is basically Trump supporters. They turned it into a Trump rally in Chicago, in the city of Chicago. And the photo was taken looking into the crowd. And Ken, I, I saw there were probably a hundred people crowded together. One one woman, I believe. Well, I'm just talking about in this one particular oh, picture. picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One woman. Take a look at the picture. You can see for yourself. There's one woman with a mask on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then there's a woman at the very front who has a mask on, but it's not covering her nose. Yeah. So you know, it's like okay, there you go. So it it's like Trump America. Yeah. Even in the city of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, is determined to ignore the advice that doctors are giving them. Yeah. And but these people are my neighbors. Yeah, you know, those are your neighbors, Ken. Yeah. Uh, you pass them uh, when you're walking down the street and you say, hello, how are you? Yeah. Uh, and they gather together uh, to get a sign of support for the police. Okay. Now, granted, I think that most police officers, when they're out about on their beat, and they're going into a house that they don't know the people that live there. Yeah. They go into a restaurant for whatever reason. They're called. They're wearing masks. Yes. They're wearing masks. You yeah. know. In fact, I remember at the outset of the pandemic, the the uh, the police union. This is so ironic. Was chiding the city for not doing more to protect police officers. That's right. Right. From the virus. Yeah. Okay. The, the police were rightly very concerned about the fact that they didn't have enough PPE. There were yes. people were being asked to go into just really rough situations with no man, no face masks. Absolutely. And whenever I see a police officer outside of his or her car, they have a mask on. Yeah. Almost yep. invariably. Yeah. So here's the rally to support police officers. <laughs> Nobody's wearing a mask. No, it's just, it's beyond Guys, belief. Yeah. you're insane. Yeah. Can I just tell you that? Yeah. You're supporting people. I'm just, just speaking to you. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I support police officers too, mm-hmm. but you're not helping them. Yeah. yeah. By contributing to the spread of the disease, Kenneth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we could just for one moment go back to a little bit further back in the conversation before, I I just absolutely wanted to bring up today this insanity in Washington yeah. with not being able to pass any kind of a new stimulus bill. Uh, and in particular, I know it's very political, but the thing about not wanting to help the states and municipalities and the, you know, the rationale being that's mostly blue states. So it's for pensions for, you know, blue police officers and all that kind of stuff. It makes me sick. I mean, I, I am not, entirely against the idea that they gave billions of dollars to airlines. It's a really critical thing and we really do need them operating and it was okay. But 
how is it not also important for public transportation in in major cities? How is it not important for education in major cities and and in states that you know that have big cities in them? Those states are really stressed, and I, and I'm just I'm so furious about it. And every time I see that look, that smug look on Mitch McConnell's face, like screw you, I don't care about you. You live in a big city. I just want to scream. Yeah, I. I... That was a good. Uh, that, that was a good riff. I give you credit for that riff. I practiced it. Man. Uh, uh, and uh, look, I've said this already. The obvious. What's going to happen uh, because of electoral college? Uh, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell realize they can hold under their power because the way the population yeah. is distributed. Yeah. So you talked about f- the thirty to forty-five percent of the country that's insanely loyal to Donald Trump. Uh, despite all logic and all reason, they're going to stick with him no matter what. All right. The way they're distributed around the country, McConnell and Trump can, can conceivably hold on to power. I still think Trump will lose, but conceivably they can hold on uh, to their power. So none of this will change. Ooh, uh, you mean the, the Republicans in the Senate? Yes. And yeah. the Republicans in the Senate and Donald Trump, because Even uh, he loses. Say that again. Even if he loses. No, I'm saying that the way the population is distributed, oh, let's put I the Senate to the sorry. side. Yeah, the I way the population is distributed through the country, uh, it's conceivable that Donald Trump can have an electoral college victory, even if he's smashed, yep. in, which yep. he will be, in the popular vote. Oh, yeah. And uh, he'll still maintain his power. And so as a result, it will be next to impossible to confront all these problems uh, that you're uh, that you're yeah. mentioning because they don't care. Yeah. There's no accountability whatsoever. They, they're they not going to be held accountable if Chicago Transit Authority falls into the Lake Michigan. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're- A good way to look at that is that um, the state that proudly hosted the Sturgis motorcycle rally <laughs> has two senators. That's my point. Yeah. And California has two. Yeah. And California is burning. So yeah. until something is done to uh, to change that in terms of the Senate, uh, the uh, the suggestion put out by David Ferris comes to the show all the time. Political science professors mm-hmm. think the Democrats mm-hmm. are Republicans. It's to divide California into about seven states. Yeah. He yeah. says if you divide, you figure you would take over the Senate. Yeah. Uh, and then make uh, yep. Washington a state as well. Right. Uh, and you would take over the Senate. Yep. And but Ken, I'm at the point where I believe that it it's going to take something that fundamental yep. uh, to bring this country to its senses. Yeah. Be- because right now we have minority rule. Yeah. We have minority rule. They don't care. You talked about the transit. They don't care. You know what I'm saying? No, no. There's no reason to care. It doesn't affect their lives in any way. All right. Now I'm hopelessly depressed. So let's close. <laughs> let's close. I'm going to cl- close by predicting once again that Joe Biden will win because, as Ken said, neither of us know. So why should I be gloomy and doomy right. in my projection? Right. Nobody knows. Nobody I, knows. I will tell you this. I read. The, it was, I read the polls came out yesterday. Uh, the New York Times. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, they chronicled all these polls. Nate Combs' his name. Are you kidding? I, I swallow those things whole as right. soon as they're published. So poor Nate Cohn. Nate Cohn's whole existence uh, as a New York Times prognosticator is bent on on feeding the anxiety of the liberal <laughs> readers of the New York Times, That's so they keep true. clicking, and it's like, oh, geez, I got good news. How can I convert this good news into bad news? So my anxiety rid. Democratic readers will keep clicking. So uh, he comes up with these preposterous algorithms. To, like to, Joe Biden has like a 10 point lead, but when he's done, Trump's ahead by one. Well, yeah. this but on the other that. hand, he's the guy who's more responsible for the complete destruction of all of our mental illness when when Hillary Clinton lost because we were everybody was was watching that I mean we all had it like on our screens 24 hours a day watching any little movement right 
and Hillary was always just slightly ahead until yeah, yeah, that's a different guy. That was Nate Silver. Oh, so, this oh, is Nate, Nate Cohen. Cohen. Oh, I, Nate there, Cohen. There's, oh, there's two. There's two of them. Nate Silver used to be the guy, right. Uh, right. the prognosticator. Then he got his. He left the New York Times, got his own gig. Right. So the New York Times was, how can we replace Nate Silver but still get people to think he's here? I know. We'll hire a guy named Nate Cohen. Right. Right. I, you know how many times I correct people? They do this. Right. Don't feel bad. So many times. Oh yeah, that's the guy that that miss that blew the Hillary thing. No, that's a right. different Nate. Okay. Oh, that's true. Nate Silver. Well, that's right, just going to be a quiz at the on this at the end of the show. All right, so take note. You think tips are hard? Try explaining the two. America's right now. Wait a minute. Do you have to be named Nate to be a prognosticator for I the think near? Oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so Nate Cohn. So he had all these polls. Great day for Biden, but if you just pretend <laughs> it's not, it's a bad day. And all these guys, all these anxiety-ridden Democrats, clicking. Oh, I need more Nate Cohn. Cohn sitting back, going, "What a bunch of suckers." Anyway, I, I think I mentioned to you uh, uh, earlier, but um, <laughs> the New York Times has this thing, this this interactive thing with map of the country and then like a red and a blue ball on either side <laughs> and you can like drag a state into one or the other yeah. and it'll tell you how what you know what the uh, electoral college score is so it's like can you can you come up with a, a <laughs> get your candidate to 207 uh, I have confession time. I think I spent about an hour on that thing one night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't, don't let that get around, right, Ken? Uh, Florida. Maybe it was 45 minutes. I don't know. Uh, but it was a lot of time. I a lot of my like half an hour and I felt guilty. But where did you put Florida? That's the question. Well, I did it different ways, you know. Uh, right. Florida's freaking insane. Yeah. And this, see, here's my thing. The utter anxiety of Democrats... It's just a, a beautiful thing to watch. You're not alone. Every every baby boomer Democrat I know is yeah. losing his or her mind. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, these studies come out. There was a report that uh, Latinos, a disturbing trend for Democrats. Yes, I know. Latinos are trending for Trump. Yeah. And I'm like. I don't know where you find these Latinos, man. Okay, whatever. Some guy in Florida. They always go down to Florida. There's like and four they, guys in Florida who spoke to somebody. Yeah, well, I'm, I I like Trump. He says, "Well, there, there you go." Going to Trump. Yeah, yeah. All I know is maybe maybe if we vote for Trump, he'll come and throw paper towels at us. Yeah. Something yeah. Like that. So I, my guess is the overwhelming majority of Puerto Rican voters. Uh, are going to be against Donald Trump. That's my guess. I would put money in Vegas on it. Uh-huh. I've already made so many bets about the black vote. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, they're doing that to us with the black vote too, because ever since the convention, the so-called Republican convention, with all of these, you know, African American speakers speaking eloquently about how Trump is their savior. Uh, you know, you just build on that, right? Yeah. Oh Tim my Scott, God, this, this is a Walker. trend. It's a trend. Yes. Yeah. That, and 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 like I said. Baby boomer Democrats see that and they all the black people are going for Trump. I saw it on TV. I saw Tim Scott. I saw Herschel Walker. It's it's happening, Ben. Get real, okay? I hadn't thought about this being an age thing because like if you're if you're like twenty-eight or something, you've just lived in the digital realm your entire life. You're just washed over by it. You know that everything's a scam and you know you're just not paying any attention. But those of us who sort of grew up with the analog world where things were like numbers that were written down on columns and they were <laughs> real, we tend to look at this stuff with more reverence or something, you know, and I and I think we're more easily uh, bullied by it. You are, and there's baby boomers. I could give a whole uh, dissertation. I'll just leave it very brief. There's been uh, two moments in the political lives of liberal baby boomers that are burned into their brain. <laughs> oh, let me guess which they are. They're two. two uh, I'll give you the years. Two thousand. 19- no, 1972 and oh, 2016. McGovern. McGovern. Too liberal. Now, every baby boomer is suddenly a genius when it comes to too liberal. Ben, you forget 1972. And then they tell you what they were doing. I was I was a college student in Missouri, and I was going door to door. How many times I have to listen to some... You've heard my stories about I worked in I worked in Downey, California for McGovern. 
Yeah, you're you're get in line. I've heard every baby boomer. Uh, if every baby boomer who said he worked for McGovern actually worked for McGovern, McGovern would have been it's like Woodstock. No, I really did. I was. The, I believe you. I was I in California. You. We won the California primary. Remember that. Oh, you were so you worked for him in the Democratic primary, not the yeah. general. Well, I was yeah, I was working in the primary, and then in the general, I was working in DuPage County. Ah, heck of a job you done there! <laughs> heck of a job, Brownie. <laughs> I would I would ring the doorbell when there were doorbells. Somebody would open the door, and I'd be standing there with my "Come Home, America," <laughs> and they would just slam the door. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so anyway, so they learned a lesson. Baby boomers learn a lesson. What was that be, lesson? The lesson can't be too liberal. You always have to move right. You got to move right. Oh. And then Clinton, okay. seventy-two. Clinton worked That's for McGovern in Texas. You, yeah. you got to move right. You yeah. can't be too liberal. And everybody's got to follow you and fall in line. That's right. the lesson they learned from seventy-two. Clinton got elected in ninety-two and ninety-six, largely because Ross Perot was in the race. But right. somehow or other, the even, third way, they, they validated him. Mm-hmm. See. See, this is how you win an election, Ben. Right. You got to move right. Yeah. So then 2016, they got another Clinton running. They're moving right. Mm-hmm. And what happens? They <laughs> lost. <laughs> Suddenly, they don't know what to believe. <laughs> Baby boomer. There was somebody who was truly writer. <laughs> that's right. So I don't know. I, that's why I'm saying none of us know. Uh, we really don't. We, we don't know. We don't know. But um, I wonder, So what do you think of the Senate? Well, I study the same uh, thing polls you do, and I, I think the Democrats will take the Senate. Do you really? Yes. Oh, I just... Ben. Oh, t- wait, say this. And wait, I just want to sit back in my chair and let that just kind of, you know, just kind of run over me. Say that again. By the way, uh, but baby boomers, I'm available for parties, bar mitzvahs, weddings. <laughs> just bring me in. And then I'll be part of, like, the post-ceremony. Well, Ben, what do you think about this? Oh, I think the Democrats will win. Thank you. Hey, come in from the kitchen. This guy. I just want to bathe myself in that again. Tell me about the Senate, Ben. Senate, yep. Yeah. Uh, I had it written. I wish I had my paper. And I, oh, God, this is a little embarrassing. But the other night, I wrote down all the states. I was going to do this whole riff. Yeah. Uh, and I actually didn't do it. We got distracted on the show. But I have a piece of paper. I forget. Maine was going Democrat. Arizona yeah. was going Democrat. Maybe those uh, two. Uh, Georgia, there was a seat that we were going to pick up in Georgia. Uh, and then there was uh, another seat. And then I'm presuming that. Um, I, oh, and I always give the Republicans Alabama. I start off by giving them Alabama because yeah, yeah. Doug Jones, that was just a one time deal. So, hey, I'm a realistic guy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I forget. I, I can't remember that. I wish I don't have it in front of me. Uh, but then I figure, all right, Biden wins. It's 50. We, we're, all we need is to get to 50 and we control it. So there you go. All right. Be happy. Be, be optimistic. Don't be gloomy. Don't be gloomy, Gus. What difference does it make, Ken? It's you see, you're not a sports fan. Like all these fans, like they think the Bears are going to lose. What? It, they're not going to win or lose based on what you say. You know what I mean? So, don't be gloomy, Kenny. Yes, it's going to be okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I actually, I actually said to a friend, I can't believe I did this, but I said to somebody a couple of weeks ago, if the devil himself appeared before me and said, I'll, "You can have a deal. You can either have." You can either have the Senate and Biden, or you can have the other way around. And I would go for that. I would. I would go for the Senate. I mean, I'm Hold, and holding Senate on the House. Trump. I mean, Senate and Trump. Yeah, I understand you what the you're Senate saying. Senate and Trump, or you could have, you know, Biden and not the Senate. I'd go for. I'd just go for the Senate because then they could. You know, cut the wings off of Trump pretty badly. I hope. But anyway, uh, and, yeah. and and presuming uh, that the Democrats hold on to the House as well. Oh yeah, well that, yeah. I am assuming that. Yeah, Even okay. I'm assuming that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Would I take that? Uh, uh, Senate in the House. You know, that's a great. Uh, wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it would be kind of like what happened to Obama. It would just be like, you know, there's not a whole lot he can do. All he can do is issue executive orders, and those get those get abrogated like 24 hours after the election. Yeah. 
Uh, wow, you know what? I'm not going to give a definitive answer in that. Uh, I'm going to punt and uh, and do the think about it because I don't want to put out there in any way that I don't want Trump to lose. You no, know what I'm saying? That. That's kind of what I'm that. thinking. You know, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to put that vibration out there. But yeah. right before I was interviewing you. Uh, and I urge everybody who's listening to this one to listen to the other interview I did. I interviewed a, a, a anti-war activist named Michael uh, Thurman, who lives in California. And Michael Thurman uh, is lefty, really uh, far left, even more left than I am with such a thing as possible. Uh, but a very committed awesome. anti-war activist. And he was the one who confronted Joe Biden on Super Tuesday, went right up to his face and said, there's blood on your hands for the wars that you voted for. And you should be ashamed of yourself, et cetera, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh Baby Trump, Donnie Trump Jr. took uh, the uh, the recording of that, put it on his Twitter feed. So millions of people have seen it by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Mike, uh, Michael Thurman is making a point of telling anyone who will listen, I despise what Donald Trump represents. Believe it or not, as much as I cannot stand <laughs> the foreign mm-hmm. policy of Joe Biden, I'll be voting for Joe Biden. And so... I feel as though, and this may be wishful thinking, that even my beloved lefties who uh, just refuse to participate uh, in the two-party process, right, because they see all the inadequacies of the Democratic Party, I think uh, even my beloved lefties realize what a threat Donald Trump is to democracy. So there's another reason, uh, Kenneth, to be optimistic. Yeah. Uh, All right. Very good. Good. We were going to close it down right there. Uh, I think we may have shattered all records uh, with this interview. Ken Davis comes on our show. What kind of Uh, records? uh, In terms of talking the most. By the way, we were on the air so long. I think Dennis changed his shirt and shaved. (laughs) (laughs) Took a shower. Took a shower. Smoked a doobie. Oh, I'm sorry. He doesn't smoke reefer anymore. Uh, Oh, anyway. Uh, you're looking great, Dennis. Good God. Hey, thanks. You look, mil- look a million bucks. <laughs> I did shave. And, I, you know, I got a speaker. I can hear what's going on. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Uh, that's all right. It's all happy good. Happy Tuesday, Dennis. Yeah. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> happy. Uh, happy every day to everybody. Uh, Kenneth, thank you very much. And really, hey, great talking to fun. you. That's Ken Davis, host of the Ken Davis show, or used to be host of the Ken no. Davis show. No, which just is- an old retired guy. He's an old retired guy, but we love him. I'm just that's- an audience member who gets to come and play with you once in a while. That's all. Yes, that's mm-hmm. good enough. Right. Ken Davis, thank you very much. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Bye.